Hi, everyone, and happy Monday. I apologize for not posting an episode um, the past couple of weeks. To be completely honest, it's my last month in Austin, and I've really just been, like, trying to, like, suck as much juice out of the experience as I can. I don't actually know if that's a phrase, but I like to use it. Uh, But I've been trying to make the most of it, and I really have been making the most of it and just... I don't know. I, I think because I'm I'm really for, in a really fortunate position right now where I have a like summer break basically, and so I have so much time to just really do what brings me joy and not have any other worries on my mind. And so also allowed for a lot of self reflection, um, which is a side note why I recorded a solo episode. So that will be coming out soon. Um, just reflecting on my time in Austin, but. Yeah, it's been really nice just to kind of take a step back and enjoy exactly like where I am because I think I'm really bad at being present and staying in the moment. And so this like just time by myself in this place that has brought me so much joy over the two past two and a half years has been really extraordinary. Um, So today, this episode with Leo uh we recorded a couple weeks ago and I'm so excited for you all to listen for some quick context. We talk about this in the episode, but like just to provide a, a little bit of background, um, Leo and I both go to the Columbia school of social work and are, um, both pursuing becoming therapists. And we were in this class last semester and we had one of our projects was to do a, an intake and a uh, or a client case presentation. So basically, like pretending that we were presenting on a client and telling, giving a diagnosis, and then the class would guess the diagnosis. And so I used a family member, and I lied and said it was not a family member, as it was a coworker. And the basically some of the things that I was mentioning about this family member like were very niche, and so I thought no one would ever be able to relate to this. And then Leo messages me privately on like the like video class format thing we use and it's like oh my gosh like my family member does that too and like my teacher said the same thing and I was like wow this is actually wild that I thought this was like such a unique experience and then um, that led us to this episode where we talk a lot about just the ways in which culture affects mental health and um, Leo and I both uh, have family members or he is in the uh, Jewish community and I, I'm in the Jewish community. I, I don't practice like religiously, but uh, my mom is Jewish. So we responded on that. And um, obviously just being a social worker and having that unique experience is something we talk about. And really, again, how to find the therapist that works for you and things to look for in a therapist, because I think the connection aspect of therapy is, I mean, it's critical. And so if, if you don't connect with your therapist in some way or have that rapport and trust, therapy won't will not be as productive so i really hope you enjoy this episode and um the update without further ado here is leo Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I'm so excited to be here with Leo Massey, who is a fellow social work student and a new friend at Columbia. So, Leo, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to 
talk and pick your brain. Thank you. I appreciate you even having me on the podcast. I, you know, we were talking on Instagram and I was like, oh, I'd love to be on this podcast. I've seen it. I've heard about it. I was watching your Instagram. So I'm thrilled to be here. I appreciate it. Amazing. Yeah, you're actually, I I have a, I had a friend on who um, graduated from CSSW and she helped me like with the application process, but you're the first person who's still in the school with me. <laughs> Awesome. So pretty exciting. Um, so I guess why don't we just start off, like, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? How old are you? Yeah. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? What's your story? Of course. Um, so I grew up outside of Philly. I don't know if anyone's familiar with the Philly area. I grew up like Montgomery go birds. County. Yep. Go birds. Um, and yeah, I originally wanted to work in the entertainment industry. I wanted to be a film director. Then when COVID hit, I actually was like, no, I want to be a talent agent and represent talent and help create these stories for these diverse individuals that don't have as much representation on the big screen. Um, so, you know, when it comes to certain TV characters, movie characters, I wanted to help represent those individuals and help them find the roles that would tell those stories through accurate representation. Um, but then I realized while working in the entertainment world a little bit that I was more interested in the people's personal lives rather than the characters these individuals were supposed to be playing on the big screen. So, you know, I went out for like a coffee date with someone and it's funny, the coffee date lasted like three hours and my boss came back and he was like, where were you? You know, this wasn't supposed to be a whole thing. And I was like, you know, this person just got back from the military and now they want to be an actress. And I was like, this is so fascinating. And even my boss, you know, we went on trips together and he would tell me all about his personal life. And I was like, I think I'm much more passionate about hearing about these issues rather than issues regarding, you know, the roles of the people that we're trying to represent. Um, so long story short, I applied to CSSW, got in. Um, and here we are. Yeah. Wait, that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. It's almost like in the process of like learning about these people, you almost wanted. It's like there's never a role that was going to be good enough to fit their unique story. Exactly. Because they're so that's so I feel so similarly. I mean, for me, I was in finance like <laughs> I was not yeah. even yeah I started out in finance sales then I moved to sales tech but mm -hmm. it was like I how I had the podcast while I was working the job in finance and I just always loved like learning about people's stories and I think it's like I don't know this podcast has been such a great way to just restore my faith in humanity and hear all these like stories from people whether they're friends or celebrities or whatnot and then one time I was, it was again, COVID July, 2020. And I was interviewing a therapist and she was like, you'd be a really good therapist. I was like, how have I never thought about that? Like, yeah. no, that's funny. People have been saying to me exact same thing when I was in the entertainment industry. And I was like, this might be an actual career. Like, you know, give it a shot. Yeah. It's like, it never crossed my mind, but it all, it in hindsight, I'm like this makes perfect sense like I love talking to people and I love yep. learning about them and like 
it's interesting, you know, with the the math background of like problem solving, but like not looking at them as like a bunch of numbers, but rather like being like, oh, but you mentioned X, Y, Z from your childhood. How does that affect ABC? Exactly. And that's, I think that's the best way of putting it in terms of like people sometimes forget that humans are not just problems like math or science, like they're much more complex and there's intersecting aspects and I mean, humans are complex creatures and there are so many issues throughout their lives that have affected their decision making and who they are today and, you know, everything. So with that in mind, I also forgot to mention that I am, I am Jewish and also a member of the LGBTQ plus community. And I say that because I, I do want to help treat individuals part of those communities as well as many other communities, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah. Because they can look to you as like someone they can relate to, which is so important. Exactly. Exactly. I'm I'm glad you brought up relatability because I think that is something that I've come to realize a lot when it comes to seeking a therapist. People look for therapists that have similar identities or backgrounds as them. So they feel Mm -hmm. comfortable and want to form that rapport and, you know, feel like they have this bond with this other individual that they can relate to on a level outside of therapy. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's like, I mean, as you know, like the, the mental health profession is like, I don't even know, predominantly white cisgender yeah. female, like, exactly. and I mean, granted, hello, case in point. Um, but so it, it's, it's always like, cool to see people just with like a little bit of a different background um entering this space and that's something I focused a lot on when I was like doing the business side at Talkspace um so I kind of want to go back a little to your yeah. childhood mm-hmm. but I know so for example I'll, I'll use myself as like you know um a guinea pig or an example here but when I was still thinking about becoming a therapist a, a big part of me was almost like am I like, is it cool if I do this? Because like personally, like on one hand, having like a lot of mental health issues, so to speak, when I was younger, I think fueled my desire to give back. But at the same time, there was almost that, not even imposter syndrome, but almost like Mm -hmm. it it, it, it was like, is this going to be too close to home kind of a thing? And I do think that there's a very strong correlation between like mental health issues when you're younger and then driving your desire to be a therapist. Like I think it might've been a reading we had for class, like the wounded war, the wounded uh, helper or whatever it was called. It's definitely, I mean, there were so many articles for classes that, well, besides the point, but yeah, there was, I mean, I feel like so many articles touched on that. It's like half the people that are in the field of social work or mental health field in general were individuals that were directly affected by the issues that they want to help treat with mm-hmm. the population that they feel relatable to. Um, so it's it's fascinating to see why people get into this field and hear again what you said, like what their stories are and you know what their issues are or what they were growing up and what ignited that you know that flame of I want to help give back in this way. So yeah, I mean it is interesting. Absolutely. So you mentioned, you know, your own like p- 
positionality or like cultural and huh. um, other identities. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. like growing up, like what did you think of mental health? Like was it a topic of conversation in your home? Um, was there any effect that your culture, your family had on how you viewed yourself and, you know, your emotional well-being? Great question. So growing up in a Jewish household, and I think I'm only going to say Jewish because we, you know, we don't, we're not like anything else. Um, it was, it was loud. It was, there was yelling, there was back and forth. I mean, even though we even had like intercom systems in the house, for some reason we would still shout from like the second floor to the laundry room downstairs in the first floor. And, you know, it's like, that's just the way that I grew up communicating with family members. Um, You know, we also grew up doing like Shabbat dinner every Friday or, you know, when our friends came over, um, my mom and dad would put up the candlesticks. Um, I would go to like synagogue for Hebrew school on Tuesdays and Sundays. Um, Even in my area, it was predominantly, predominantly Jewish. I'm from like Upper Dublin. Upper Dublin, PA. If you look it up, it says on, oh, I'm forgetting what the name of that site is, where it gives you like the. Wikipedia? No, it's like, um, no. <laughs> um, the Urban Dictionary. Yeah, yeah Urban Dictionary. Yeah, yeah. If you look up like Upper Dublin, it says like predominantly Jewish and like, yeah. you know, people driving like BMWs and all the, and it's like, okay, I get it. I get where I grew up. <laughs> My positionality definitely. Privileged. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Privileged. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it, but I think having been in CSSW, I think it's recognizing that privilege and also understanding where you come from and your positionality in this world and also recognizing, okay, maybe I need to take like a step back or maybe I need to give someone else that didn't have this privilege a chance for this opportunity. Um, so it mm-hmm. impacts people every day. I think that the biggest part is being self-aware of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I came from a similar in a sense, like a very wealthy Mm -hmm. neighborhood in New Jersey. Granted, I don't know how my parents picked it because I mean, I'm half Jewish and we were the one of like three Jewish families in the town. And it was predominantly like Irish Catholic and um, Italian Catholic and um, not a huge fan of my hometown. But aside from that, it, you know, I would say like up for the first 14 years of my life, I was very sheltered Mm -hmm. and just because of that. And then, you know, as, as you mentioned, like just between moving around and, and meeting people from like all different communities and um, backgrounds, it definitely just, I think that was like the impetus of what made me interested in other people is because everyone in my town, my hometown was like the same. And then, so like when I met people who were different, it was like, tell me everything exactly i want to know all about you <laughs> right um and also yeah. the, um, i'm curious i guess what is the other half could you say you're you're jewish from your mom's side or, yeah you know. i'm greek so oh, my so cool yeah my dad's greek and my mom's jewish and when they decided to get married they had like a what's it called like an agreement that i wouldn't have a baptism or a bat mitzvah oh my gosh i love that <laughs> so I was raised culturally everything and religiously nothing. So I like had Hanukkah and Christmas, which is kind of insane that I was just 
banking on, you know, all of those gifts. Yeah. And then, but yeah, no, which, which like on one hand, I'm very grateful for my parents in that sense that they gave me the autonomy to kind of choose like mm-hmm. whatever I wanted. But I, I think that like sense of community was like always something that I long for of like, you know, having um, like a synagogue of and like the community that that comes along with or all of my friends at the time were getting like, uh, I don't know, not baptized, like communions or whatever. Don't know the, the verb. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, confirmate. Confirmed. Confirmed, yeah. <laughs> but that's, and, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. So it was different. And then I moved to Greece in 2010. So for my freshman year of high school. You lived in Greece? Yeah. I lived in Athens. I'm actually going. You're like the one person I haven't asked. I'm going to Greece for a week and a half in June with my partner. And we need tips, advice. I don't want to. Oh, I got it. you. I mean, yeah, I don't want to turn this podcast into like <laughs> Mamma Mia or something like in Greece, but I. I would love to do that, actually. I, yeah, we could just have a theme song right now and start. Yeah, but that's. Yeah. That's amazing. I am excited to go. And I love that you just told me that now. And. I'll give you all the tips. It's the best country. I mean, it's so yeah. amazing. But what was so cool is like I lived there mm-hmm. during the Arab Spring. Oh. And that sounds weird saying that was so cool. But it was very interesting because we had so many people from mm-hmm. Egypt come to Greece like midway through the year because they had been kicked out. And it was like I went from this school where there were like maybe, I don't know, there's 45 kids in my grade or something like super small like all white you know and then all of a sudden I'm in this school where people are like just from all over the world and just so interesting and and that really spiked my interest in just like wanting like more from in my life and like want you know and and wanting to learn more about people so that's my little summary of life and then I went to a boarding school it's a complicated but <laughs> but no I, I love um, that you you shared that because it, it does go back to the fact that you know all of our personal experiences lead us to where we are today and what you know what we do socially who we hang out with who we don't hang out with and I think for me even it's like you know I went to elementary school for kids that had dyslexia not that I myself even had dyslexia but I had I think they called it slow learning or like slow processing or something like that it wasn't even like a specific name but I was around such a diverse group of people and such a community that I felt close with to a sense where I was like all right I don't want to let this go I want to keep furthering my education in regards to other cultures other communities around me and I, I think I carried that even throughout college and especially today so I think that definitely plays a role it's like your background and just being aware of it all too and what you're exposed to because yeah exactly absolutely so I guess so one thing I think we you know bonded over so to speak is the ways in which I guess certain tendencies that could be described as symptoms of certain mental health disorders I mean I'm being like very (laughs) PC right now um manifest at least in like my half Jewish household one of which being superstitions and conflating those with 
or conflating more of, let's say, obsessive tendencies with superstitions. Right. Um, which is something that, you know, when I when I was younger, I had severe obsessive compulsive disorder. Like in hindsight, it's actually wild that I was never like looked at. Like I never saw a mental health professional because like it was crippling. Um, and I think a lot of it came from the fact that my mom's side of the family was quote unquote, very superstitious. So like whenever, you know, if, if I were to be like, Oh, like, Today, like today, it's gonna rain tomorrow. My mom would be like, "Poo, poo, poo!" Knock on wood, exactly. and like hit her head. <laughs> I, can I just say for for everyone that's listening, she Zoe. Do you go by Zoe or Zoe? Zoe. Zoe, literally in our I forget what class it was, like three or four classes ago, she was presenting on this individual that she needed to present on for the fact of, you know asking the class, like, what do you think the diagnosis is? We're playing this like little exercise that we do with throughout all the classes that we've had. Um, you know, we, we bring on this client or potential friend or whoever it may be. And the classmates pretty, pretty much try and guess or diagnose the person. And as Zoe was talking, I was like, all of these symptoms, she literally, like, she literally just said, she's like, poo, poo, poo. Like, you know, even before getting on a plane, my mom needs to like do certain things. Like, and I, I was thinking, this sounds like my mom. Like, this just sounds like my family member. And I was like, I kept chatting in. I was like, this sounds more like a cultural thing rather than uh-huh. else. And I was like, but that's but that's exactly like, what is the line, though? You know, like, where is the point where it's like, this is culturally something part of who they are? Or is it turned into an illness? Or does that yeah. it in a way? Yeah, it's. It's so hard because, I mean, ultimately, I think it, at least from speaking with professors, because I had a very similar class alongside that one. And it also was funny because I said it was my old coworker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, wow, this sounds a lot like my mom. And I was yeah. like, well, it's my mom. So <laughs> that is very understandable. Um, but it was interesting because ultimately when I spoke to another professor about it and I was like, I mean, is this obsessive compulsive disorder? Because these are compulsions. Like mm-hmm. my mom has to say fly safe six times before letting me get on a plane. Like yeah. it's very ritualized. And she said as long, like it's that second criteria of like if it really impacts your day and takes away time. So as we would say, we've ruled it out or keep it in mind. Um, but it's yeah, it's such a fine line because in now when I, I hear my mom say something like that, I just want to like scream. I'm like, mom, it's and then she's like, I'm just superstitious. I'm like, that's not what it is. But it's so embedded in our culture and like my family where I can't just blame my mom because like my grandma does it, you know, and I can't just blame my grandma because like her parents did it so it's all like this interwoven thing but as you said it's so I think important to recognize it in ourselves and being like okay am, am I saying this because I actually think that knocking on my head three times is going to prevent a disaster from happening happening or like what does this serve <laughs> right and it's like what I mean at a certain point it's like was I brought up this way or is this an illness at this point that I actually mm-hmm. feel like I need to 
to do? Is it a compulsion that will make me feel better, a coping mechanism in a way? And yeah, I, I think it's also, I have a twin also, just for some background. A twin. Interesting. I, was it you that has a twin or was this one? I think no. You're like, no, I don't. I don't want one. I'm good. Um, Definitely not. No. So I, I have a twin. He is Orthodox. And it's interesting to see sometimes how religion and culture play a role in in helping people or not even helping people like turning to coping mechanisms or even avoidance for that matter um i think that culture plays a role in our life obviously when it comes to comes to decision making and how it can become a vehicle for avoidance coping is what i'm saying and mm -hmm. i think that that happens a lot whether it's ocd depression anxiety you know whatever the mental health concern may be so i think that that's another reason why every day i i work at a dbt practice and i see every day on listservs that there are so many emails regarding individuals within the jewish community the orthodox world um and just within that culture and religion that need mental health support but there is mm -hmm. there is a stigma around it and not a lot of people want to seek that support but then again, it goes back to your point where it's like, that's just the culture, that's the religion, like, you know, and it's like, where's that line, though? Who really knows? So true. It's it's interesting, actually. So for context, I used to work at Talkspace where I'd sell mm -hmm. our services to um, various organizations, schools, uh, companies, et cetera. And one of the, the groups that I pitched to was the... Um, Oh my gosh, AEPI, like the the frat. Jewish yeah. frat, yeah. yeah. And when I was talking with the guy, like the I don't know the point of contact, yeah, he said, you know, like in the Jewish community, mental health really isn't talked about. Mm -hmm. And at first, I was like, well, I was like, nah, like what? What is he talking about? Because I was thinking about my family. More so, I was thinking about myself, and I was like, I talk about mental health all the time. Like, right, right. <laughs> I'm crazy, and. <laughs> And then I thought about it more and I was like, wait a minute, actually, we never talk, like my family never talked about mental health. My, um, the closest like I ever got was I was interviewing my, my grandma once for the podcast. It's her mm -hmm. birthday right now. Today, shout out. Oh, happy birthday. She's the best. And she was telling me this story of, because I asked her, you know, how did mental health affect you when you were growing up? And this is like kind of dark. So like trigger warning for people listening. Um, but so her uncle, who was like a very special person to her, was a a doctor. I want to say like an ear, nose and throat doctor oh. or I don't know, some sort of doctor, not a psychiatrist. But one of his patients was uh, Judy Garland, like pretty cool, you know, Judy, Judy Garland. Yeah, you don't need any. Yeah. Exactly. And she actually attempted an overdose in his oh. apartment. And that was like literally the first thing my I was like, like, what? Like, how did how was this not brought up earlier in my life? Like that I feel like is. I mean, a traumatizing experience to like hear about and also like whenever my grandma would refer to like her sister or her cousin or a relative who had depression is always like the crazy one you know like it was 
so rarely brought up and then just so only talked about when I was in college. Like that was the first time I actually saw a therapist, which is wild. But I just, it was the first time where I made the connection of like, you're right. Because I think there's this, there's this, what's the word? Like perception, which is valid that certain communities, let's say like the Catholic community, you know, that might be very difficult to grow up around if you're, you know, in the LGBTQ community, for example. And, um, but I think it's important to recognize that like all of our culture has an influence, whether we like, whether it's evident and like, you know, you're hearing it at your church every Sunday that like you shouldn't be gay or that you shouldn't have sex and then taking home that guilt. Or if it's like more subtle, Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. It does. And that's why I think it's also important to find that community that has intersectionality, whether it is Catholicism, LGBTQ plus, you know, Jewish LGBTQ plus, like whatever it may be. It's like wanting to find that group of people that you belong with. And I think that's also an important aspect when it comes to providing ther- therapy services is making sure that poor person has the support system. You know, if it's not at home, then where is it? And also, I love the fact that you brought up Judy Garland and because it makes me makes me think about like all the, the celebrities that have mental health. Oh, issues. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I literally just posted like two hours ago my, my story that, you know, proud of these like, LGBTQ plus members that are part of the entertainment world that are changing and fighting barriers when it comes to stereotypes, um, generalizations. And whatever it may be, because the you know these actors and well-known celebrities, whether they're athletes or whatever, they they can change the face of mental health. And people have mm-hmm. been that, like Pete Davidson, Selena Gomez, who've utilized modalities like DBT, and people know that. And there's been a lot of you know reduction reduction when it comes to mental health stigma because of those those people. Yeah. So yeah, it's so true. Like. I I genuinely don't think people would have any idea of what borderline personality disorder was if it weren't for Pete Davidson. So shout out. Exactly. Because he brought it to the forefront. No one knew what BPD was. I mean, now it's thrown around too much, but like Right. Diagnosis and yeah. Or like, you know, using it in an inappropriate context, but like that yeah. is no like he really did put a put a face to that disorder um and you know whether it's like Demi Lovato talking about bipolar disorder or um I just watched a documentary about Aaron Carter which was so sad I was just about him the other day and people were like who's Aaron Carter and I was like you know who Aaron Carter is and I'm like I I just aged myself I know yeah I was like I have to play this song right now like the middle of I don't know yeah but but you're right it's it's I think that's where social media and media in general has a huge role when it comes to reducing any stigma for that matter, whether it is mental health or, you know, even stereotypes. I mean, look at the movies people watch, the TV shows, again, not bringing it back to like, like my pivot from the entertainment world, but like, that's why it was such a place that I wanted to be in because of those stories, those yeah. stories. Yeah. No, wait, I was about to make that connection of like, yeah that that makes so much sense of like the where they converge of like exactly 
an, a huge way to reduce the stigma is through entertainment and media. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this is not exactly related to mental health, but I th- I just thought this was so fascinating. I read this book um, recently called Word Slut by Amanda Montel, and it's all about like how lang- like like a feminist perspective on language. Yeah. And one of the chapters was talking about language used pre- predominantly by like the LGBTQIA plus community and um, and how we stole it, of course. But one of the things they talked about was like, if you think about characters from Disney movies, if you think about the villains in a lot of these Disney movies, like they obviously don't profess of being gay or like a lesbian Right. But like, you know, like Scar is very feminine. Like there, yeah, there a lot of them are or like Ursula. It was based off of a drag queen. Yeah, it's wild. It is how ingrained it is. The subtle like things. And then you grow up and, you know, you're three years old watching Little Mermaid. What do you know? Right. Exactly. But then it's ego back and you think, well, I wonder why they didn't use that full character or like that representation and they kind of just let it sit there and they not culturally appropriated, but like they kind of in a way took from that community. And it's like, well, we're not going to say that those are gay members or like those are, you know, drag Queens or whatever it may be in that TV or that TV show, Mm -hmm. but it's like, we'll just like lightly leave this in here to make it seem like it's more comfortable for everyone and maybe even not make it more comfortable, just make it more, generally confusing because you're not saying exactly what it is. Yeah, exactly that. Cause it's, especially when they're animated, like I think it's Lion King where the hyena is like, it, it, they deliberately chose certain voices and certain, you know, stereotypes to represent through a children's movie, which is, you know, a whole other conversation, but it's just so interesting thinking about like, yeah, like as you said, the way that like media has the immense power to share stories and like a lot's changing. And I think more stories are being shared now, especially with like all these like streaming channels and whatnot. But that's, yeah, it's it's cool. I hope you like kind of get to do both in your you know future as a therapist slash mental health leader. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Um also, I apologize if there's like a lot of noise. I am on Second Ave, and there's so okay. No worries. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's exciting to see that that representation, and that's why I was talking to my supervisor and even other people in the mental health field. And you know, there's all these different modalities and you know uses when it comes to therapy, but everyone pretty much has the same answer and it's like use you like use what you have and bring to the table as the individual not you know i mean obviously evidence-based practices definitely use them but like it's not you know the gottman method or neurofeedback or you know whatever it may be it's the person is choosing because you and the brand that you created for yourself yeah so yeah i was i was actually talking with a um a girl about this the other day because she was saying how you know she wanted to go to therapy but she didn't really connect with her therapist in college and how hard it is so I guess let's say like I was new to therapy and no idea what was how to approach it what yeah. would be your advice for finding like your therapist soulmate 
Like what types of questions do you ask on, you know, that first call, all that? No, that's a great question. Actually, that that is something I want to talk a little bit about is not even during the consultation or the first call. I think during the intake or, you know, maybe it is that consult asking them where you consider home, like where where do you consider your cultural your bubble? Like, what do you consider your religion? Um, you know, there are various questions that I've incorporated and added to a document that I choose to ask each client that I begin working with. So not only they feel like they have this, this relationship that's building, this rapport building, but it feels like I want to know more about them because I'm asking these mm-hmm. questions, you know, um, are you dating anyone? Are you, and there's like serious questions too. It's like, are you taking medication? Um, you know, have you experienced any suicidal ideation in the past so or so weeks? Um, but it's asking those certain questions that make them feel like, wow, this person really gets me. And also, I think a huge one is, you know, what do you want to work on in therapy? And people don't always know what they want to work on. And sometimes these sessions just consist of the individual monologuing or mm-hmm spewing out information that's like all right is this conducive to what we're we're doing here why do you want to be here and sometimes you know it isn't sometimes it's like i don't have any goals um i think you know initially establishing those goals and then also have you been in therapy before if so what do you like what do you not like do you like homework you know homework outside Mm -hmm. the session um but yeah i mean are there any questions that that you also when you're working with a patient or individual, do you choose to ask them to make this feel more comfortable for them? So, I mean, I haven't worked with clients one-on-one yet. I mm-hmm. volunteered at the crisis tax line for the first uh, year. But I think on the flip side, like, let's say I, I, if as the patient right. um, or like the client, so to speak, it's getting an, an like, let's say I'd never been to therapy because I obviously have been a lot. And I would think of it like, what do I like to hear from a friend? Do I like to get their advice? Do I just want to vent? Do I want constructive feedback? You know, do I want tough love? Right. And then on that, like that 10 minute consultation, mine usually like when I speak with a therapist, probably go a lot longer than that because I, want to get down to like, you know, what I like from a therapist, right. uh, what their specialties are. You know, obviously if you're going through like, if you're dealing like with an eating disorder, you want a certified eating disorder specialist as your therapist, um, you know, asking like, what's your style? Do you, and for me personally, like when I speak with a therapist that I'm quote unquote interested in, I'll say like, I like X, Y, Z, but you can also ask and then, you know, be like, oh, that sounds interesting. Um, I think also there's just so like, and I, I talked about this in a previous episode, but like there's so many acronyms in right. in therapy and I think it can be confusing. I mean, I'm confused. I didn't even know what DBT was literally until like I interviewed my friend. I thought it was CBT, but like speaking it out loud because I thought it was like dialect. You know, and now it like derived from CBT. And it's like Lenahan, actually, the creator of DBT, I mean, yes, she created it, but she pretty much pulled from many different aspects of therapy. 
So oh yeah, and it's all like Buddhist yeah. based. Exactly. It's I now know. <laughs> you now know, especially the presentation you guys gave. Yeah, killed it. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, like it exactly what you said. Like, it, is it more that you want to be talking the entire time? Do you want more of that like coaching of like you know hearing options and ideas and whatever or just use it as a venting session because there's all different approaches and ultimately if you can get most of those questions you know out of the way in that first free 10 minute consultation mm -hmm. it'll save you from meeting with a therapist that you don't really connect with and then you know either choosing not to go forward with them or or having just unproductive therapy sessions definitely and I will say also I think I mentioned I work at a, a DBT practice and there is a document that we have that lists the clinicians backgrounds and parts of their identity that helps us match them with the individuals that I have consults with so if it's like someone is you know wanting to speak with someone that has experience in the yeshiva world or like orthodox community I can go down the list and be like, oh, this this clinician has this experience and she's worked with teens that are interested in learning more about, you know, seminary or or religion or I don't know, um, any issue regarding religion or culture for that matter. And a lot of these people also don't want to see individuals that have that same background sometimes because mm -hmm. they want to experience the biases and they don't want to feel judged and they want an outside perspective. So there's a flip side to it also. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how do you balance that relatability piece with the potential for, like, transference? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And I think it's also, I think it's reminding yourself as the therapist, like, this is where I am. This is who I'm with right now, just being present and being mindful of you know, I'm trying to help this person just because they have relatabilities does not mean that they're my friend, does not mean that mm -hmm. they're a family member. Um, it means that I have more, more to work with, more information behind the issues that they're dealing with, behind what they're bringing to therapy. So I think that anything is just being more knowledgeable. Just because there is more knowledge doesn't mean you know, you go off the rails and it's like, oh, I, I'm thinking about this person it reminds me of my family member or I want to do this because, you know, it's so relatable. And and I also, it's funny because I, I did just get, I have a therapist and I just got a new therapist and we are relatable. And he comes from the entertainment world. He wants to like fight anti-Semitism. Um, he is part of the LGBTQ plus community. And it's like, like, all right, this guy could be my friend, but... I was like, all right, he's my therapist. So yeah, I hope there's not transference on his end and vice versa. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting, interesting way to look at it. Yeah. And I think on the flip side, like as the client, mm -hmm. like for example, if you have a difficult relationship with your Jewish mom, right? maybe don't have a therapist who is like in their, like a female therapist in their 50s, 60s. Right. Exactly. Like, that's probably like the easiest way to avoid it, mm -hmm. I'd say, because <laughs> I've had that experience as well. Um, so kind of to pivot, yeah. it is Mental Health Awareness Month, which is the best month. And I so I wanted to ask, 
what advice would you give to someone who's struggling right now? And maybe specifically, I mean, men, I think, are a little bit less likely to open up. I love that. Um, And so, yeah, what advice would you give to, let's say, a a young guy, you know, anywhere from teens to 20s, 30s, who is struggling and doesn't know, like, what to do or where to go? Funny, because I I just wrote a um a fellowship application to like for this exact thing it was like oh men's health related issues mental health stigma and everything and um i think that the best advice would be to know that you know you're not alone but it's easier said than done because i've had this mm-hmm. to me and it's like oh yeah you're, you're not alone it's like great what is that gonna do but it's <laughs> like like look at look when it comes to the media look look in the movies the tv shows I mean, the stories are out there and they're changing and there is more representation. As we said, you know, like Pete Davidson, Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, whoever it may be, there are actors, whether you're black, white, Jewish, gay, Muslim, whatever it is, you know, those people are representing exactly what you're looking for in the media. And if you see them on the big screen or if you see them in certain areas and, you know, on social media, then you know to yourself, I'm not the only one in this boat. I know that I have someone that is similar to me in a way and Mm -hmm. identifies as part of that background. Um, Yeah, and I also wanna add, you know, if you could go back right now and talk to yourself when you were a child, you know, what advice would you give yourself and why? It's like, if you could think about that and then say, you know, I'd want myself to know how strong I am, how independent, how how not alone I am. And I think just thinking about that, because you know you will think about that at one point throughout your life, throughout your adult life, where it's like, all right, when I was a child, I wish I could have told myself this. Um, so I think just thinking about that also. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I think like, you know, there's there's like a fine line with like comparison of, Mm-hmm. people have it worse and you know how can I compare my like struggles to those who have it harder or are less privileged or what is whatever it is but I think one thing that I do whenever I'm in a bad place is I think of like a, a, a time in the past when I was really struggling or in a in you know um like I unfortunately like dealt with like a lot of like death when I was in um my senior year of college mm-hmm. and that was a really hard time. And I think about like, if I could have pushed it through that, it was horrible, but like I did it. And so kind of almost like reminding myself of my own resilience is mm-hmm. I think at least my go-to coping skill, so to speak. No, I love that. I lo- yeah. That's, that's a great way of looking at it. And I think that in terms of men's mental health also, because, yeah, as you said, this field is mainly, I think it's like 70 or 75% women, something like that. Mm-hmm. And there does need to be more representation when it comes to men's mental health and men in that field, of course. Um, but yeah, I think that's why men are less likely to open up um, and feel so emotional. I, I'm, I'm working with a client right now, actually, who, you know, someone that shared with me, they've never used I feel. They don't want to express themselves. And 
it's it's hard for men out there that don't really know how to do these things because they've mm -hmm. stuck in these societal norms and these ways that life have been moving for them where they didn't even realize that was an option but you know it is an option and you can see that with you know the way that it's changing i mean i feel like there's been a huge mental health boom in the past yeah four or five years alone or i mean especially covid but i mean i don't know about you for, for high school it was like all right mental health is kind of talked about and then as soon as i got to college it's like all right everyone's seeing a therapist i don't know what happened but yeah, I, I, yeah, no, it was never talked about. And I went to a boarding school. So like everyone yeah. was depressed. Um, it, but yeah, it's, and now it's a part of the conversation now, mm -hmm. you know, I think we're, we're definitely on the, the path to change and it's cool to be kind of like at that impetus. Yeah. So I always wrap up with a few questions somewhat related to the podcast, somewhat unrelated. Of course. First question is, what is one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? Mm. Now I'm thinking about, you You just shared about like all these like the things that you went through in high school with regards to death. And now I'm thinking about, I think death, but also I think intergenerational trauma. I think that is a huge aspect that people sometimes overlook or sometimes mm -hmm. recognize is intergenerational trauma when it comes to my own background and the Holocaust for that matter, or even, you know, going to my great, my great um, aunt's funeral who was in the Holocaust. I think just being through these things and growing up a certain way. Yeah, no, that's so real. And you're right it is overlooked like one of the things I'll never forget that one of my therapists told me was just in regards to generational psychology and how each generation is defined by the the most traumatic event that yep. happened in that generation so for example my parents are baby boomers right they all things considered had it pretty good like they you know were working in corporate america in the 80s so like business was booming right reaganomics like yeah everything yeah. was great like you know the the biggest quote-unquote trauma they experienced was john f kennedy getting shot when my like i don't know my parents were probably two mm -hmm. and so whereas you know you think of millennial like um millennials and gen and gen z and it's like we had columbine and 9 11 and then the yeah. recession and then COVID, and now another recession and, and school shootings and it's like yeah, it's it's non-stop it, it's non-stop so when mm -hmm. you have one I mean, if anyone's listening and ever feels like you know you don't have a right to complain or you don't have whatever like there's factors outside of like what you deal with day to day that are really affecting you that you don't even know about well said mm -hmm. so yeah i just want to throw that out there because that changed my perspective i was like yeah, this has been a rough no, I, 27 years. <laughs> I love that you said that. And it reminds me of the fact that, you know, a lot of a lot of generations prior to Gen Z don't share when it comes to their mental health needs. I mean, I was reading a statistic that, it, that said pretty much Gen Z is the only generation to share as much about their mental health needs than any other generation prior, mm -hmm. which is fascinating. So I'm, yeah. 
yeah, absolutely. And there's the whole like internet. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of factors. Next question is, do you believe everything happens for a reason? No. Why? I think that such an interesting question, by the way, I feel like we just went from like that to, you know, kind of a people, people go one way or the other. Okay. No, I love it. It's just been like, all right, are we in like a Hallmark movie now? It's like, well, a whole, everything happens for a reason. Um, I think that sometimes I want to believe that, but I, I deep down, I don't think it does. I think that we as individuals have the ability to make options for ourselves and choose which path we want to go on. And if you want that certain path to occur or you want something to happen, then you'll find a way to make it happen. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So the the other friend who I had on mm -hmm. also works at a DBT practice. Okay. And I asked her the question and she said, yes, absolutely. And I was like, why? And she gave like the most unique answer I've ever heard. She And she related it to DBT where she said, you know, let's say you're you're in a car crash right. and it's so easy to think, oh, well, like what if I, I, you know, didn't get in the car that day or what if I was driving a little bit slower or what if I looked twice or whatever, mm -hmm. but that's not going to get you anywhere. It's like, nope, you were driving this amount of miles per hour. They were driving this miles per like, like it was going to happen. And it was just such an interesting reframe because I think a lot of people who say like, oh, yes, everything happens for a reason or more of it in like a spiritual, like right, everything like manifestation, whatever. Yeah. So but she, she said, said yes? it so almost like matter of factly. She said hmm? Yes or no, then. It... Yes. That everything happens for a reason, but more of like oh. as a way of acceptance, like almost like acceptance and commitment therapy of like, right. well, yeah, it did happen for a reason because, you know, you you were going that speed and the driver didn't look right or left. Like it's more of like an acceptance thing. I feel like I see it both ways if we're going about mm -hmm. like that, because yes, it does happen for the reason of the fact that, you know, that person was driving that speed, et cetera. But I was looking at it more like, like you were saying, yeah. religion, like, okay, no. Yeah, like what good came out of this? I yeah, no yeah. Me too. I just I thought it was That's an interesting an... take. Yeah. Next question is do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by? Oof. Um I think there are certain quotes, funny enough, that family members say that I'm like, oh, I love this quote. Like my mom always says, like, be the director of your own life, which I'm like, okay, I really like that quote. Um <laughs> But there's also like other quotes that I've seen recently. And there was one from where I saw it. It was like, confidence is confidence is knowing you're the last person that you can count on. Ooh, I like that. I know. And I was like, I really like that. So I don't know. I think that's it depends on the situation. I love quotes. Yeah. Next question. What do you love most about yourself? I love my different parts of my identity. I love that. I think that it it provides individuality and relatability in some regard to other people, of course, sociable, socializing and different communities, et cetera. Yeah. When is your birthday? Curious. February 27th, 1998. Are you one of those people that's like, all right, definitely, you know, Gemini, because 
Pisces? I'm a Pisces. Yeah. You just said that in your head. That's so good. Okay. Are you, do you like memorize all of the astrology? Okay. Um, so now that I'm a Pisces. Wait, oh my gosh. Well, Pisces, mm. I mean, it makes sense. The Pisces are like known for being emotional, quote unquote. Yep. But... My friend tells me all the time. Yeah. yeah, I don't really know. Oh my god, you're a baby. 1998? Why how were you reborn? 1995. Okay, that's like not so You're like you're like my sister's age. That that checks out. All right, yeah. <laughs> COVID gra graduate of like Zoom of 2020. 2020. Yep. I was yeah, yeah. stuck in in LA, yeah. And okay, last question mm -hmm. is how do you find solace in the city? Ooh, bringing it back to the title, I love that. Um, yeah. I think I find solace in the city, A, by sometimes honestly escaping from the city. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes it's funny. I, I go to the Bronx because my partner's in school there, and I'm like, all right, I'm going off to the countryside, whereas it's clearly <laughs> not the countryside. I'm just like, I like leaving Manhattan because there's yes. so much noise and congestion and everything all on top feel of you everything all the time a lot. exactly um i think another thing is meditating honestly i need to do that i love that yeah yeah I'm meditating big, like, and then walking around new york i think the third thing is just kind of person, by yourself I think being by yourself helps. Just exploring. In certain situations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Leo, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can everyone follow you, work with you potentially, um, plug everything? Yeah. My, um, my Instagram is at Leo MSW and... I think that's all I'm going to plug, honestly. Just my Instagram. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again, and bye, everyone. Thank you so much.